My name is Allison McClellan. I'm a medical student at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. I've gotten to meet a lot of great physicians, and the interactions that I've had with these people have got me thinking, what is their life like? How did they choose their specialty? What kind of training did they have to have in order to get where they are today? What does their day-to-day life look like as an attending physician? What lessons do they have to share with me and with other medical students? So today I'm going to introduce you to one of these doctors. That way you can hear their answers to some of these questions and hear what they have to say. My name is Julie Wei. I'm a pediatric ear, nose, throat surgeon here at Namor Children's Hospital in Orlando. And I also serve as the division chief for the ear, nose, throat, and audiology division. So what does that mean when you say division chief? Division chief means that even though I am still seeing patients as a physician in outpatient clinic setting and I'm doing operations as an ENT surgeon, I have to also devote energy to making sure that I take care of our entire team. So that's currently three other surgeons, soon to be four, two nurse practitioners and a physician assistant. They all practice independently. They see patients as well. Um, That means that I have to coordinate everything from our schedule, from the day-to-day of who's what, where, doing what, how, to being really kind of the leader and captain to meet everybody's needs. I went to New York Medical College in Valhalla, New York, and I always thought I would grow up to do pediatric hematology oncology. And then uh, in July of my fourth year, I said, you know what, I'm going to do a month of ENT. I'm not sure what that is, but I think it'll help me be a better pediatrician because I think you need to look in kids' ears. And right at the end of my third year, I had a great rotation in pediatric surgery. I'm not going to lie, during medical school, my exposure to surgery was tainted by the fact that I saw some behavior and conduct that just made me think that a career in surgery and surgeons may be synonymous with less than respectful behavior. And that was not something I was interested in. So I just assumed I would not ever want to be a surgeon. And thankfully, due to the positive experience during the pediatric surgery, rotation, and very importantly, a wonderful ENT rotation, in particular, a woman surgeon who really gave me the time and energy and helped me discover that I really probably would like to be a surgeon. So I did my ENT surgery residency training at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, What it was like, it was very cold, kind of like Grey's Anatomy, because back then there was no 80-hour work week, so we lived at the hospital. Did you do a fellowship anywhere? Oh, yeah. So after the five years of residency training, um, my fourth year, you know, I remember, you know, being asked, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? I mean, sure, you're going to be an ENT, but what about, you know, any subspecialties? I was reminded of my love and passion for working with children the fact that I wanted to be a pediatrician in the first place. So somebody, uh, one of my dearest friends who was a few years ahead of me, she says, well, you should be a PZNT. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, maybe. Why not? So I applied and here I am. So I did a two-year fellowship after my residency training. Back then it was called Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. Now it's the Lori Children's. So I had another amazing two years. You clearly wear many different hats in your job. What are the patients you see like on a day-to-day basis? What kind of conditions do they have? ENT as a specialty and PZNT as a subspecialty is pretty cool. We see a number of things. So the common things, right? Lots of ear infections may be a good candidate for ear tubes because they may have mild hearing loss. They're on lots of antibiotics. We deal with a lot of young children who are healthy or not healthy, 
who have significant snoring, sleep disturbance, obstructive sleep apnea from big tonsils. You know, these are the things people think of when you talk about ENT. We actually deal with very complicated things as well. Uh, complex airway problems. We deal with hearing loss, vertigo. Uh, my joke is everything above the collarbone except the brain, the eyes, and I guess I don't do hair. My little, my daughter pointed out that I, I don't do hair. On a given day, I see so many variety of things, uh, neck masses, lumps and bumps. Um, we we take care of newborns with tongue tie. We take care of congenital lesions. So on a clinic day, on average, we see lots of patients, various ages from birth till age 18. Um, we see difficulty swallowing. So there's a lot that we see that you can't see anything wrong on the outside, but the problems on the inside. ENTs are trained to deal with voice. But I find that this is pretty amazing because Obviously, breathing's important, swallowing's important, we all take that for granted. But lots of quality of life issues and human development, early communication, it all lives within ENT. During your training, did you have anyone that you kind of stood out to you as a mentor that helped you? Oh, absolutely. When I was in Kansas City for 10 years, I was in a university setting. We work with residents and fellows. Teaching has always been a passion and a mandate for me because I truly believe in the value of the impact it makes somebody else's life, just like so many have done so for me. So during my residency training, I mean, you can easily say every one of the faculty that you're assigned to work with and learn from are potential mentors. But the truth is not not everyone, you know, is the mentor and, and each person at every stage in your career, especially well after you're a quote unquote student or a resident or a fellow needs mentoring. So over the years of my career, I've now learned that a mentor is not just somebody who's much older than you and has to have white hair. What I didn't know was that I would grow up and be blessed with a career. You see, you can finish med school, you can be a doctor, a surgeon, and you can have a job. But in fact, I never understood until I'm living it and now reflecting that, wow, you have a career. Career is made up of many jobs. One is to take care of patients. That's why we're here. The other is the ability to take care of other people that you work with. You are an educator in the community. You touch the lives. You have the opportunity to inspire your coworkers, your colleagues, fellow doctors and surgeons, nurses, everybody that comes um, into interaction with caring for the patient. So I definitely have a few mentors. You know, mentoring now is much more structured than the way it used to be talked about. So we just assume if you're, if you're further along in the career, you're my teacher, you're my mentor. Really great mentors are actually sponsors. So mentoring is not just somebody telling you what they think you should do. There are people that ask you questions to help you understand yourself better. And then you should have several of those. You, you need one for your life. You need one for your work. You need one for surgery, one for research, one for teaching. And you, what, you can do what's called co-mentoring. This is actually really special to me. I am probably not unlike other doctors and surgeons, but you don't hear about people talking about it openly. I experienced extreme high degree of burnout about five years ago. And through that experience, um, thankfully, I had a chance to stop and reflect. I was doing so much that I was emotionally exhausted, depleted, and could not experience my day-to-day with the kind of joy that should come with doing what I love, because uh, I'm a human being, and we are expected to do a lot. And when you take care of other people, you don't take care of yourself.
So this is every day, all the time happening to so many of us. So bottom line is, once I had the insight and realized why I was living in pain instead of joy, why I wasn't engaged in my day-to-day, and why I wasn't living, being my best self, I wanted to make a change because I knew I could not go on that way. And I didn't want to quit medicine. So at my prior environment, I was so proud to have reached out to a couple of the women faculty. And very quickly in a two, three year period, we uh, resurrected an organization called Women in Medicine and Science, where we have just up to hundreds of women, uh, whether they're a surgeon, clinician, researcher, graduate student. We started a strong conversation and a culture change to empower each of us to believe that a career is a horrible thing to waste, not understand, neglect, and not enjoy. And we did that through conversation, through formal events, through this awareness, this active awareness, recognition of each other's achievements, of the power of the inspired human spirit. So Allison, my biggest concern When I was driving to work this morning, this is what I think about. America is getting sicker by the minute. Obesity, risk of chronic diseases, the rates are skyrocketing. We don't have enough of us to take care of the population. And what we do have, no one's talking about physician, surgeon, wellness. So I have been for a long time trying to have conversations and support physicians and surgeons around me and share my burnout experience. So what happened to me? does not happen to somebody else. And what I'm worried about is we can't train enough students fast enough, students like you, to be enough to take care of our population given the changes in healthcare, the number of hours we deal with the computer, the requirements, the elect, you know, we we just, we're human beings. We're bombarded by too much all the time. So when the current workforce is busy burning out, we're going to be in serious crisis. And most importantly, no one deserves that. You are in the middle of your training. You're going to spend years training, and we do amazing, impactful work for the for everyone around us. Do you have qualities that you think make a good doctor? So I gave up everything I work for in my community to move here to a place where nobody knew me. Nobody knows what I'm capable of, what I can do, how much I can serve, what's in my heart. Nobody knows me. I mean, who would do that? Everybody wants to be known. I did that because I believe in what Nemours' mission is. Your child, our promise. Treat every kid as if they're our own. Here are the qualities that we may not all be born with. Some people may be better at it than others. It depends on your exposure and your life experience. However, the things we really, I feel, are important you know, empathy. If you just as a human being can't be empathetic and don't care, you can do your job. You may even be good at it. But the human experience received on the other end from that of a patient and family is going to be different. You know, the, the basics, I mean, you know, you, you got to be willing to read, to learn, to have a curious mind and not settle for what you were taught 20 years ago. Science and medicine is moving so fast, none of us can keep up with it. What we think is true today may not be true 10 years from now, but at least, you know, you have to be aware of what you don't know and have humility and have the 
willingness in your heart to recognize that what you do matters. People actually listen to you. They trust you. When you're wrong, sometimes the consequences are horrible, even if you didn't intend to hurt them. This is a big responsibility. So responsibility, accountability, acknowledging also that no one held a gun to your head. You want to do this. This is a privilege and it's a gift. You get to be paid to have impact in somebody's life. Um, and that's a pretty awesome feeling and experience, especially, you know, when it does go well because you're cognizant and you care about how not to hurt somebody and how to help them like they're related to you, like it's your family because you know, that's what else is there to be able to use your mind, your 10 fingers to help another human being is just the most extraordinary reason that I can think of to, to be here to be breathing this moment.